Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from snowy Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, powered by Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Beacon and Free Radio and Pocket Casts and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation practices. Hey, speaking of commentary, you know, this is my show, it's my commentary and my opinion, and it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions of organizations that I may be a part of, but if it is an official position, I'm going to let you know about it. And also, the views expressed on this show may not reflect the views of this program sponsors and advertisers, just so we're all clear, all right? Hey, please spread the word, you know, we're growing like a weed here in 2022, and, uh, You know, I want to wish everybody a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's right, today is that day uh, where we recognize that great civil rights leader. And, uh, you know, unfortunately today we did get hit with a wallop of a, of a snowstorm. Apparently the, uh, the weathermen were correct as they were predicting last night that it would start and uh, f- fall all through the, the uh, evening hours. And, uh, you know, they got this winter storm warning that's up uh, through this evening. <clears throat> well, they were correct. We got quite a bit of snow and it's going to take uh, probably a, a good several hours to dig out of this one. But, hey, it's winter, you know, that's all good. Well, some updates have been released by the DEC, as it's been a pretty busy uh, year so far in wildlife, as some highlights were reported uh, to the Western New York Environmental Federation that had their meeting on this past, uh, you know, about a Sunday ago, it was on the 9th that they had that meeting, and, uh, you know, so so break it down to you, you know, the deer uh, news that we had here, the annual deer and bear check station efforts uh, had the Holland Station operating again after a 2020 hiatus due to COVID, COVID, COVID. And the station was open from opening day on November 20th through the close of the late muzzleloader season. Uh, <clears throat> in addition to the check station activity, you know, Region 9 deer processors also surveyed uh, about 1,300 deer that were checked in uh, to processors. And, uh, you know, they, that was pretty good. So, you know, they got a good number of observations on opening weekend and got a good, uh, good data collection throughout the season. Uh, but the observations on opening weekend appeared to show a lower harvest than previous years, at least on opening day. Um, but it was noted that not everywhere in Region 9 had snow on the ground. And Sunday's weather with the high winds and rain certainly complicated matters for hunters. Overall, information collected included individual health of the animal as to gauge herd health as a whole, sex and age to develop another picture of the age structure of the herds, and the antler deer harvest. Um, uh, the processor visits also helped determine reporting, uh, you know, the, the uh, harvest reporting rates for a more accurate estimate. And 
you know, each uh, each region and across New York State does this. You know, they, they visit the processors and they check tags and they see which ones have been reported and which ones have yet to be reported. And it typically gives them a an accurate fudge factor in terms of uh, what the estimate needs to be. Uh, obviously, they got the real numbers from those who have been compliant and obeyed the law and reported. And then there is that, you know, number of folks that did not report. Uh, that's, you know, used to, as the metric to, uh, you know, get the final number on the, the estimated harvest. Um, it was noted that as of December 29th of 2021, the reported harvest was down 13% compared to last year. But that doesn't mean that the harvest was down as a whole. As reports last year were down 6%, but the harvest actually was up 13%. That was across the state. Uh, that, that down 13% is also across the state. Now, last year, as we remember, was a tough year uh, due to the switch from the e-licensing platform to the new Calchemy licensing platform, and the harvest portion kind of got mulched in the transition, especially the phone-in portion, but the smartphone access as well, uh, as the transition also broke the Pocket Ranger app. So the best way to report the harvest last year was actually online through the website, and some may have gotten frustrated with the experience and threw in the towel on reporting in 2020. Uh, but this year, the new Hunt Fish New York app is available, and uh, that works well. The internet reporting works well also. Um, however, it was reported that some issues with the voice recognition of certain words, specifically towns. Uh, the, the example that I heard was Jerry, New York, or Gary, New York. Um, that specific example just didn't result in pulling anything up. They tried Gary, you tried Jerry, nothing came up. Um, and that could have been uh, resulting in, in hunter frustration. And once a hunter gets frustrated with that process, they, they just mail it in and say, the hell with it, I'm not going to report it. Uh, make it work or we're not going to help. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's that, that could be a contributing factor as well. Since hunters are creatures of habit, um, and if they started with the phone-in system, they're going to stick with the phone-in system. They may not want to use an app. They may have never tried the online way. Um, so, you know, this could probably uh, have a contributing factor into the erosion of trust. And the after a couple of years of the increased reporting compliance, it appears that it dropped a little bit again. You know, this may be part of it. Um, time will tell, but these kind of bugs do none of us any favors. Um, but... You know, keeping quiet on the issue certainly doesn't help identify the problem for fixing. And perhaps the DEC needs to create a tech hotline, you know, not just calling in the main number or not just calling in the, the, the tip line, etc. They may need a tech hotline as things more become more online and more tech savvy, more tech centric, I should say. Um, that may be, you know, needing to be the case. Last year's reporting compliance was pegged at around 45%, which was a slight drop since pre-COVID, and some improvements that were seen when the reporting time was increased. Uh, functionality issues will certainly decimate user trust and willingness to participate, and that's you know pretty generic. It's not just limited to the mandatory harvest reporting. That's right across all interests. Nevertheless, um, what this does say is that 55% of the hunters last year violated the reporting requirements and were technically illegal. So if you fall into that category, folks, please try to you know improve on that. 
right now there isn't any enforcement but I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be down the road if this continues to persist and it's not hard you've got online you've got you know smartphone through the pocket uh, the hunt fish shoot New York or hunt shoot New York whatever it's called hunt fish New York sorry guys and uh, uh, you know you've also got that phone in system and if you've got a problem pick up the phone and call Albany tell them uh, try to get with maybe if you, you haven't talked to Albany, maybe you can get with your regional people and they can direct you as to who to call. But, you know, report these problems so they can be fixed. The reported bear harvest, meanwhile, in Region 9 is also a bit down, which could be reflective of the off year of mast crop nuts. Uh, beech was available, but the lack of acorns this year appears to potentially have put bears in, into dens earlier, although I did see black bear tracks opening day of regular season. Uh, the bear take has been down across the region and the southern zone for the past few seasons after hitting a watershed number a few years ago. Um, cumulatively, the harvest in the southern zone is down about 23% from the period of 2018 to 2021 to date. And again, the final numbers of bear harvests won't be released for a little while yet. Uh, bear numbers are down. Um, it, it was reported, however, that a bear highlight came in when a Bruin was brought into the check station in Holland, New York, that tipped the scales at 550 pounds dressed. It was brought in on Sunday, November 21st, and that bear was taken from the town of Ishue in Cattaraugus County, and I saw pictures of it, absolute monster. We're going to quickly switch gears here uh, to the upland birds um, as the results of the summer wild turkey surveys were also shared and the poults per hen showed to be slightly down across New York State to an average of 2.5 or 2.5 poults per pen. Um, that was down from 2.8 the year prior. The estimated index for 2017, 2019, and 2021 were among the lowest observed since 2009. However, Region 9 did have the highest poult per pen index, poult per hen index, boy, that's a tough one to say, uh, at 3.01 poults. That is good news. Um, so, you know, even though it's down across the state, the region shows a little bit better. Uh, you know, that could be reflective of the habitat quality, etc. On the land management front, a private landowner has accepted the DEC's offer for purchase of a three-acre uh, parcel that's adjacent to the Conowango Swamp Wildlife Management Area in the town of Randolph in Cattaraugus County. This parcel has been pursued for quite some time and the landowner just would continually reject the offer that the DEC put up. <clears throat> and, you know, the, this latest move it was that, you know, the, there is a... Um, the bed in the bank of Battle Creek in Little Conowango Creek. Uh, this area is provides critical access uh, to conduct repair works to the bank, especially as apparently that has compromised and the flow is now running down this drainage ditch instead of flowing into the Conowango Swamp. And the property owner had refused to give access uh, for permission to do the repair. So, you know, the, the only alternative was to try to purchase this. And apparently Ducks Unlimited also ponied up some money to make the, uh, the deal a little bit sweeter. And after turning down the offer from the DEC, that DU contribution did sweeten the pot and the deal got done. They're hoping to get the repair work done so it'll improve the waterfowl uh, hunting in the Conowango Swamp as it will allow water levels to recover and make them a little more controllable in that area. 
Meanwhile, the Clear Lake Wildlife Management Area in North Collins, New York, which is a new addition to the DEC Managed Lands Portfolio, has had its specific uh, management plan uh, completed. That will be posted on the DEC website very soon for interested parties to read, uh, but that's good news, and it does need some, believe me, it needs some uh, management uh, especially over on the western or the eastern side uh, of the the uh, parcel near the lake, uh, there's a lot of heavy heavy uh, soft timber there, uh, and some of that could be thinned out. Uh, meanwhile, the Young Forest Initiative work uh, was updated as well, and a timber sale was closed uh, successfully for the Canada Creek Canada Creek and Hanging Bog Wildlife Management Areas, which. Both sales were softwood, and you know there has been very little understory regeneration. So this is hoping to let the sunshine in, and once the completed management uh, is done, uh, that should allow the early successional vegetation to start propagating the area again, creating a young forest, and ultimately resulting in, you know, once again a that that cycle of uh, generation to start, um, and you know hopefully a mature hardwood forest will appear down the road. The waterfowl season this year was notably warmer than usual, which contributed to a lack of migrating birds this year, as migration uh, normally happens in the second split, and there wasn't any ice up in Canada. Um, so, you know, obviously it was a tough second split and a tough, uh, a tough time all the way around. However, it was reported that the youth hunt, uh, which happened October 2nd and 3rd for Region 9, was a raging success. And that really does help to introduce new hunters to the sport, which is critical for the future of conservation programs. Um, you know, obviously, the you know as we got into the second split, and uh, you know it progressed, we just simply had too warm a weather up north, and the migrating flocks of canvasbacks and mallards and and bluebills and etc. Uh, they just didn't show up until after the, the season closed, and you know they're in the river now, but you know that's a day late and a dollar short. Finally, the DEC is, uh, you know, also conducting their uh, annual winter river otter surveys. Um, that's now underway. It's uh, being complicated a little bit by the lack of snow up until this point, anyhow. And it's, you know, primarily it's a track survey. You know, they look for you know, river otter tracks in areas where they know that the restoration has. Uh, efforts have been underway where they've released animals and uh, they go back there periodically and uh, check to see track and also other activity like uh, otter latrines and they did find some otter latrines however um, you know the track has been difficult to identify but the effort stretches from January through March and the goal in region 9 is to survey 321 different sites within the region so that's kind of interesting and uh, that's underway so hopefully they will be able to find some uh, some uh, additional otter information and update that restoration effort well folks you hear that music that's right the fastest podcast in history has got segment one in the can but don't go anywhere folks because rich davenport and we love outdoors will be right back
And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from snowy Tundawanda, New York. And welcome back to We Love Outdoors, folks, this second segment here. And, you know, I wanted to mention that, you know, segment number two is sponsored by Chautauqua Real Outdoors. Uh, guide and Tackle that's located in uh, Lakewood, New York, uh, just a little bit north of Jamestown. It's at 165 Fairmont Avenue in Lakewood in the Save-A-Lot and Dollar General Plaza. Chautauqua Real Outdoors, you know, they carry a full line of ice fishing equipment, including jet sleds and augers and rod and reel combos, tip-ups, and much more. And they've got a big selection of ice jigging Rapalas and other ice fishing tackle, and they offer auger blade sharpening services with a quick turnaround. That's again, that's a critical service on that lake. And live bait is available, they're open year round, and you can find them on Facebook or on the web at ChautauquaRealOutdoors.com. <clears throat> you know, so the ice is getting real nice on Chautauqua Lake. In fact, over this past weekend, the ice was nice just in time for the uh, kickoff of the uh, first ever uh, Chautauqua Lake Ice Derby, which hopefully will be a uh, an annual thing, but, um, you know, the South Basin and the North Basin both have locked up, and, you know, over the weekend we had single-digit temperatures, and this caused a flash freeze with no snow anywhere to be seen, little piles here and there anyhow, um, and we had four inches plus come Sunday morning on the North Basin just about everywhere, and it was about as good ice as you could possibly imagine. Uh, crystal clear. It would look black when you were walking on it, so it looked like you were walking on asphalt. It was absolutely fantastic, and I could get out all the way out to 37 foot without a problem. It seemed very consistent, um, very, very slick. It was like a skating rink for sure. Um, the fish weren't cooperative real much. We had a lot of, I had a lot of marks. I had a lot of lookers, but not a lot of takers. Still a little bit early, but as Sunday uh, progressed, it got really difficult to fish with the high winds and that slick ice. You just couldn't keep a shanty in place. So, uh, but we did get some, uh, you know, some small yellow perch and, uh, you know, it's pretty much game on. We don't know what's happening with the snow down there. I did leave uh, the Chautauqua area uh, in the evening yesterday and got back before the snow really hit. Uh, but, you know, it looks good. And, you know, stop by and, uh, you know, see Mike Sperry over at the Chautauqua Real Outdoors. Sign up for the Derby. You've got uh, until uh, February 12th, so it's not like you've got to, you know, jump and rush and, and et cetera. But, you know, get on in there. It's only 25 bucks. It should be a lot of fun. So, you know, that's that's that was the really good news from this weekend. It seems like it's right on time. But just to give you a little bit of extra incentive, you know, at that Western New York Environmental Federation meeting, uh, the DEC gave us uh, some information and some updates specific to Chautauqua Lake and the fishery and what its condition is. And, you know, it... It was fantastic to hear that the fall electrofishing survey, which is done on one night in early October, provided great info this season after, you know, a marked decline or even some could call this absence of walleye from the mid-2000s. The restoration and recovery efforts have paid off with an impressive rebound of walleye, and that real that rebound really happened in 2015. Some great spawns in 2014 and 2015, coupled with the stocking efforts, helped restore the state 
statewide protections. Uh, after several years of the 18-inch minimum and three fish per day, uh, the statewide protections are 15-inch minimum and five per day. Um, so that was nice. And you know, a total of 207 walleye were collected in this electroshock survey. And nearly 60% of those fish uh, came in within the, the 15 to 20 inch range. Another 33% of those fish collected exceeded 20 inches with the largest fish measuring just over 26 inch and weighing about six and a half pounds. And although no young of the year fish were collected this year, that isn't uncommon to see with variations in year class strength. Um, some would say spawn success. That isn't quite accurate, but you know the, that variation in the year class that that's to be seen, especially in natural lakes with very diverse fish species populations. Black bass too showed exceptional levels and stability in numbers, despite Chautauqua being arguably the most popular lake in Region 9 for bass tournaments. It's between Chautauqua Lake and Lake Erie, folks. And increasing uh, aquatic macrophyte control, that's uh, another term for aquatic plants and seaweed, macrophyte. Um, that recreational boating activity as well. Um, you know, all of these things coming together creates a need to monitor for changes in the black bass population. So that's going to be, you know, looked at very closely. But the survey results suggest that bass populations are solid and showing favorable sizes with trophy potential for both largemouth and smallmouth bass pretty strong. As species, uh, you know, showed that they had specimens from both species collected that exceeded 20 inches and 5 pounds. And that's fantastic news for Chautauqua Lake. Strong numbers, in fact, very strong numbers of... Um, Juvenile bass were also collected. Those are the fish that are just under 10 inches, and uh, they were found and should support a solid bass fishery for the next several years. Overall, for both species, uh, the bass and the walleye catch rates in 2021 were well above average for the lake and indicate abundant populations when compared to statewide averages. Chautauqua is certainly one of the best, best managed and well-looked-after lakes in the state, and the fishing seems to continue to improve, herbicide application cock-ups notwithstanding like what happened a few years back. In fact, Bureau of Fisheries is progressing towards developing a fisheries management plan for many of the top waters in New York. And although management plans do exist on some waters, the DEC sees a need to revise or create adaptive management plans to align with the advancing technologies and the evolving fisheries management strategies. Uh, Region 9 Fisheries is currently working on a draft plan to encompass, encompass the existing fishery in Chautauqua and provide a framework for long-term monitoring, protection, and enhancement of the fishery in the future. Um, updating angler, creel, and harvest information will be a key element of that plan, and the draft Chautauqua Lake Fisheries Management Plan in, in its current stages, it's in its early stages, I should say, it's expected to be released for public comment sometime in 2022. So stay tuned to We Love Outdoors, folks, to get specifics on when that plan is released for public comment. Um, the DEC provided an excellent excerpt from this draft management plan, and it states as, quote, Chautauqua Lake currently provides a year-round recreational fishery that offers high-quality angling opportunities for several species of warm-water fish. Uh, the fishery is primarily managed for four top-level predator species, walleye, muscalunge, largemouth, and smallmouth bass, while providing quality fishery for yellow perch, crappie, both black and white, 
and sunfish, the bluegill, pumpkin seed, and rock bass. The highly productive conditions combined with extensive, high-quality aquatic habitat are critical factors in sustaining this diverse and abundant fishery in Chautauqua Lake. The resulting complex interrelationships between fish populations, as well as human influence and environmental conditions, create significant challenges for fisheries management. This plan will identify those challenges and provide a framework to implement management actions and maintain a quality fishery in the future. This is definitely one to watch, folks, especially in light of the aquatic herbicide applications that are now under event or applications, yeah, which are now under review for 2022. And in the DEC's own words, while it is necessary to balance resource protection and human uses, it is also imperative that environmental and fishery protection measures are exercised to promote and improve high-quality aquatic habitat that will support successful natural reproduction and a diverse ecosystem for the future. Protection of aquatic habitat is critical to maintaining the high-quality recreational fishery in Chautauqua Lake. Um, more on the permits, you know, for that uh, herbicide application. Um, we'll give you more when they're issued and you know, where those chemical controls will be used. Those will be discussed in later episodes for sure. Obviously, they're not going to do anything on it right now, folks. Uh, typically, that happens in May and June. Um, the ice is nice right now, but, you know, stick stick with us, folks. Follow this podcast and don't miss an episode, so we'll get you that update when it's released. Uh, reports were also provided on the sauger restoration efforts in the Allegheny River, uh, with the latest survey work showing catch rates for sauger uh, remain stable, with multiple year glass representation also being present, which is encouraging as um, you know this project is delivering what is hoped to be a, a, a restoration of a self-sustaining sauger population in the Allegheny River. And although no natural reproduction has yet been confirmed, Seeing this multiple year classes is is very encouraging as the survivability of this fish, it seems to be real good in this waterway. Uh, The walleye catch rates were a bit lower than average, but still suggest an abundance of walleye indeed exists in this river as well. And finally, on the Lake Erie news, uh, we got some some relatively big news that's coming up. Um, Walleye are becoming so abundant in Lake Erie right now that there are concerns for that fishery that the overabundance could really do bad things to the bait fish and the forage population in that lake. Um, it is now being considered that an emergency regulation, uh, you know, across the uh, the Lake Erie management team, um, that a lake-wide reduction to the minimum size is going to need to be done. <clears throat> Currently, the minimum is 15 inch, and it's looking to take it down to 13 inch for the entire lake. And although it has not yet been made official, um, this developing news was discussed during last week's Erie County Fisheries Advisory Board meeting. Uh, as it has been noted that this could be a problem and we need to get this in place. Uh, It's not going to impact the number of fish that are taken, but it is going to open up the opportunity to take smaller fish. So that way, you know, when you are out fishing and you encounter some smaller fish, especially if you're trolling and they do sustain barotrauma, you can now make that fish part of your limit and, uh, you know, take that. They're going to encourage you to take those smaller fish as, uh, you know, the populations really are just jumping out of control. Um, I'm expecting the movement on this to happen before opening day this year. 
which right now could be May 7th, which is the Saturday, or potentially change to Sunday, May 1st, depending on the fate of the season changes and the fishing regulation change proposal that was released in early December. Um, the concerns are rising over the season date changes for the opening days, moving from that Saturday opener to that hard date opener that was released in, in early December. That comment period, again, runs through February 6, 2022. And it's not so much of the move itself that is a concern, but the short timing is this would take effect on April 1st, and there's already a lot of anglers that have made their plans for opening day and they like timing it with opening day. You know, they, they'll, they'll make reservations at bed and breakfasts and, and hotels and, and, and campsites a year in advance. And, you know, these anglers and tourists alike, you know, maybe in for a rude awakening, you know, especially if you've got walleye opening on Sunday, May 1st, you know, that, that could be a potentially an entire week that they lost in terms of fishing. And muskie, too, shows a real big issue, as right now the opener is that Memorial Day weekend, that last Saturday in May, and if it's moved to June 1st, all those plans that, that have been made by anglers could go up in smoke. Um, there are a number of uh, uh, options that are on the table, including delaying uh, the implementation of this season change. So leave it the way it is this year and implement it for next year, for 2023. Who knows, but the comment period is still open. And if you, you do see a problem with that, which problems are being seen across the board uh, by many folks, the charter captains, organized sportsmen and women, um, business concerns that, that make money on this. Uh, they're all starting to see that, but hey, get your comments in. The more comments that are out there, the better. And this is the way that, you know, you know, we participate and we make changes and make sure that the changes that are made are sound. Um, it is our right to participate in these things. So make sure you submit your comment before February 6th, folks. Now's your time to make, uh, make your, your desires known. And, you know, it, it, it could go a long way. Again, devil's in the detail. It's 78 pages long. Well, folks, there that music is again. That's right. We Love Outdoors has got its second segment now in the can, and I've got to take my second break of the day, but, you know, don't worry about a thing, folks. Stretch your legs, get a cup of coffee, because We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport will be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. Yes, we are coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. 
and you know it is snowy out there you know stay off the roads if you can folks it's no joke out there you know wind is blowing the snow around it's it looks like a snow globe that somebody shook up and you know we just you know everybody please be safe out there uh it's supposed to all abate by this afternoon and we do have uh you know i want to you know send out a congratulations a hearty congratulations to the buffalo bills who on saturday night took on the new england patriots in the wild card round of the nfl playoffs and uh, the Buffalo Bills put on a, an absolute exhibition. Uh, it was an absolute historic performance by the Bills' offense and Josh Allen. They 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 put up a perfect game. They they had the ball seven times. They scored seven touchdowns, no punts, no turnovers. And the last drive was basically the victory uh, uh, formation with kneel down. So that didn't count. Uh, final score: 47 to 17. They had a couple of missed extra points, but you know. When you're kicking seven extra points in a game, your leg's bound to get a little tired. Congratulations uh, to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, anyhow, I got some quick breaking news before I move on with my uh, uh, with my, my normal program here, and that is a couple of things. We've got, uh, you know, in uh, some proposed uh, legislation, uh, there is a proposed wood-burning uh, boiler and uh, furnace ban in New York to take effect on October 1st, 2022. Uh, we're urging everybody to uh, sign Senator Ritchie's petition. New York State Senator Ritchie has a petition to stop this possible ban. Um, you know, go to the NewYorkState.gov or uh, NYSenate.gov website and uh, look up Senator Ritchie. It's spelled R-I-T-C-H-I-E. He's got a petition on that. Please sign that petition if you can uh, to put that um, put that one to bed. And the other one uh, that I wanted to mention here, um, there are a couple of things that have come up. Uh, Assemblywoman Glick has proposed once again uh, resurrecting her bill to uh, ban lead ammunition uh, on state-owned lands and in uh, lands contributing to the surface water of uh, uh, New York City's water supply. And the big one, as I mentioned, that was going to come back, uh, the legislation to implement uh, allowing the southern zone counties to opt out of late bow and muzzleloader season, um, that one is A7785, S6510. Uh, you know, oppose those folks. Start getting busy. I said it was going to be resurrected at the start of this legislative session. I wasn't wrong. So please uh, contact your state senator and uh, state assembly person and tell them to vote no on, uh, on A5728 and S5058. That's the lead ban. And uh, vote no on A7785, S6510. That's the opt-out legislation. Okay? Thank you. Um, and do that quickly, too. You know, time is of the essence. Well, we've got some things going on, and we've got some events coming up here. Um, first off, you know, that the uh, South Towns Walleye Association has their monthly meeting coming up on Thursday, January 20th at 7.30 p.m., and it's a general membership meeting, but it's open to the public, um, which you can also at the same time enter the 38th Annual Derby, uh, the Walleye Derby, which is slated for June 11th through the 19th of 2022. And the club is also now looking for way station volunteers for the Derby. And, uh, you know, uh, these uh, they have way stations that are sprinkled across uh, the access points in, in New York waters. Um, you know, Sturgeon Point, uh, Dunkirk, uh, Barcelona, 
um, small boat harbor, etc. Um, they're looking for volunteers again this year. And this year, once again, the Derby is only going to cover the U.S. waters of Lake Erie. Uh, this year, West Her Auto Group has donated $1,500 for a special prize for the largest walleye caught in New York waters, and it's got a twist to it. So prior to the start of the Derby, a random weight will be drawn between 7.5 and 9 pounds. And the first walleye caught during the Derby from New York waters that is weighed that is closest to the random weight without going over will win the $1,500 prize. The minimum length is still 26 inches, and ties will be broken first by the date and time entered, and if there is still a tie that exists on that, then it'll be broken by length. Uh, you know, also the uh, South Towns Walleye is going to be hosting a gun raffle on March 19th. Um, that's a Saturday. It's going to run from noon to four at the clubhouse. Tickets are $20 pre-sale only. There's a limit of 800 tickets available. Um, the event will include food and refreshments during the raffle. And there are also going to be door prizes with a chance to, uh, uh, win an eight-hour walleye charter for five or a fishing trip for four at Black Lake. Uh, you pick a, a period between August through April, and it includes docking, so that's great. And all winners, you know, the winners must be present to win. They have to have their photo ID. Uh, but that's going to be happening. You know, visit the South Towns Walleye Association, or you can visit weloveoutdoors.org/events, and you can find that event in there. You can see what what guns and what door prizes. A whole bunch of information is posted. Uh, so you know, make sure you visit and check that out. Maybe make a plan to be there. Uh, Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs is also ho holding their January meeting. That's coming up on January 27, 2022, at Elma Conservation Club. General meeting is calling to order at 6 p or 7 p.m. Rather, uh, the board meeting is at 6:30. The general meeting is open to the public, and uh, you know we hope to see as many people there as as, as you know may be interested. Um, again, the general public can't participate, but you can at least uh, hear what's going on and, and find out what the uh, con the, the Erie County uh, Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs is up to. Um, it's also noted that the uh, uh, annual awards banquet for the Federation is going to be held this year on March 5th, which is a Saturday, at Clocks Grove in West Seneca. Tickets are $45 each, and they must be purchased in advance. And this is always a great time. It's a great fundraiser. they got excellent raffles and, and basket raffles and silent auction and all sorts of games and good stuff. And uh, at Clocks Grove, it's just fantastic food. That's in West Seneca. So, you know, if you can make a make a plan or, or reach out to the Federation, tickets are on sale. They're going on sale now. So, uh, you know, make sure you make your plans and try to get out and support that group as well. Uh, Evans Rod and Gun Club, uh, meanwhile, has also announced that their Winter Trap League is going on now. It started January 11th, and it runs through March 19th. It encompasses Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And, uh, you know, that's going on, and, and that's the Trap League. And they also have a Winter 3D Archery League that's being promoted as well, which is a rotational league that is uh, rotates between Glencoe Conservation, Evans Rod and Gun, West Falks Conservation, and Collins Conservation. Uh, that uh, 3D Winter League started January 3rd. The shoot-off is happening March 27th. That'll be held at Glencoe Conservation in Glenwood, New York. That's not far from Sprague Brook Park, if those are, you know, for those who are available or, or familiar with that area. 
Um, the banquet for the uh, the winter uh, 3D archery league will be on April 9th. And, you know, it's $10 a week to play, and you can bring a guest to the banquet for an additional 10 bucks. That's a great deal, folks, and it's good to keep your archery skills sharp. Uh, also, uh, the DEC has announced that it is uh, hosting a virtual public hearing on the Highland Landfill Expansion Proposal and the scoping document that's been released. Uh, that virtual public hearing for comments is going to be January 19th at 6 p.m., um, the Highland Facility Associates will be seeking a DEC permit modification to allow the facility that's uh, located at 6653 Herdman Road in Angelica to expand. The proposal requests an additional 107 acres of landfill footprint, increases the height by uh, up to 120 feet, and increases the annual waste acceptance rates from 465,000 to 1 million tons per year. The proposed landfill expansion would extend the life of this uh, facility for approximately 25 to 30 years. And interested people, you know, you don't have to attend the virtual hearing for uh, to make a public comment, uh, but that will give you some, uh, you know, Q&A time before submitting comments for clarity and context. Um, the comment period ends February 22nd, 2022 at 5 p.m. And so, you know, get that information and, and submit that comment if you're interested. Um, I also wanted to, to let uh, people know that um, there is a limited entry for new permit applications that's due by January 31st for new commercial fishing limited entry licenses. Um, they'll be considered at that time, and uh, these applications must be received by the DEC Marine Resources by close of business on January 31. So if you want to get a, a permit for a new commercial limited fishing, um, you know, drop off your application or mail it to the DEC, New York State DEC Marine Permit Office. That's at 123 Kings Park Boulevard, uh, Kings Park, New York, 11754 and uh, get that done before the end of this month to be considered for a permit. It's also been announced that construction has started on the new fish passage at the Woolhull Dam on the Little River in Riverhead, New York. Uh, the Woolhull Dam fish passage will restore access to 90 acres of high-quality habitat for river herring and American eel in the Cranberry Bog, Cranberry Bog Preserve, Preserve and Wildwood Lake area. Say that 10 times fast, right, folks? Um, it more than doubles the amount of spawning area and uh, the maturation habitat that, you know, that nursery habitat that's currently available for river herring on the Peconic River. Uh, the cost of the project was nearly a million dollars, and funding was collaboratively come up with by the DEC, Suffolk County, the Town of Southampton, and the Peconic Estuary Partnership. So that's some kind of good news. And... Um, Let's see, we've got other things that are going on that are pretty interesting here. Uh, you know, the DEC Law Enforcement Division does release information periodically as to what's their goings on. Uh, I think they release it monthly. And their latest uh, release of some highlights contains some really interesting information on enforcement actions, especially in Region 9, during the 2021 big game seasons. And that includes, you know, that they, they, they had some... Uh, uh, actions uh, from illegal hunting off of an ATV in Chautauqua County and an illegal PA hunter who falsified information to secure a resident hunting license and then failed to, to tag the uh, deer, didn't report the deer, brought it into a, uh, you know, brought it into a New York harvest, uh, New York processor, and that's how it got kicked off. Uh, you know, law enforcement was doing a processor survey, and ECO Kinney, 
um, you know, found that this uh, hunter had failed to report his harvest when the tag was checked, and then he started asking the hunter some questions because he was present at the time, and everything snowballed from there. Um, you know, he was uh, ticketed for, you know, not hunting with a non-resident license um, and, and failure to tag and failure to report, and just a, just a funny mess there. But the most interesting uh, enforcement action that was reported this year um, at least so far to date, was an anti-poaching enforcement action that involved two Wayne County poachers that decided to travel to the town of Tondawanda for some poaching fun. That's right. So town of Tondawanda is located in Wild, Wildlife Management Unit 9C. And 9C has a bylaw prohibition on big game hunting that's been in place since the early 1950s. Strictly prohibitive, you know, no big game hunting anywhere in 9C. And that encompasses most of Erie County, not all of Erie County, but, um, you know, Amherst, Town of Tonawanda, Cheektowaga, uh, West Seneca, Buffalo, uh, you know, those areas, Lackawanna, uh, Depew, at least parts of that, uh, you know, these areas uh, are strictly prohibited for big game hunting. And the investigation began on December 6, 2021, when information was received concerning two large bucks that had been taken in the closed area, that is, the town of Tonawanda. Suspects had posted videos of their hunts and photos of the deer on Facebook, and a local wildlife photographer familiar with the area, and also he had been watching, I guess, these deer, contacted the ECO, or contacted the EC, ECO Mathis and town of Tonawanda police officer Ansel and uh, you know told them about the area where he believed the deer were taken and after hours of searching the group was able to determine the exact location of where one of the suspects posed with his deer they found blood found deer hair and they were also able to determine the approximate location of where the second deer was shot based on video footage. Facebook posts also led Mathis to the taxidermists where the racks were located in Monroe County. The racks were quickly collected as evidence by ECO Snowden. Armed with this information and the photographic evidence, ECO Mathis and Lieutenant Thomas drove to Wayne County to interview the suspects, and during the interviews, both suspects admitted to taking the deer illegally in Erie County and tagging them as if they were shot in Monroe County. One of the suspects also admitted to shooting his buck with a rifle. And in those areas in Erie County where you can hunt big game, rifle use is prohibited. That's a heck of a litany of, uh, litany of tickets there. The suspects were charged with taking deer in a closed area, illegally taking white-tailed deer, hunting deer with a rifle in a non-rifle county. Those were all misdemeanor level offenses and failing to properly tag the deer, which is a violation. Each will pay a $1,000 penalty and face revocation of their hunting privileges. And I just got to say, job well done to the DEC on that. Well, folks, that's right. There's that music again. That means I've got to take my final break of the day. But don't go anywhere, folks, because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. will be right back.
That's right, sportsmen and women. Welcome back to the final segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. Coming to you from snowy Tandawanda, New York. And, uh, you know, as is uh, normal, I, I always like to reserve this final segment for the uh, the scams that are known as renewable energy, wind energy, and wind factories, and solar panels, and all this other nonsense that's supposed to save the planet by eliminating the emission of plant food, yet never delivers any electrical energy when you need it. I mean, it's just fantastic stuff. And, it, you know, the saga just keeps getting crazier and crazier because on January 10th, uh, 2022, this community group called Save Long Beach Island has filed yet another lawsuit in federal court against the Bureau of Oceanic Energy Management, that's BOEM, BOEM, uh, for their decision to lease 800,000 acres of the New York Bight, which is an offshore area roughly 30 miles off of the coast of New York and New Jersey that's located just before the big drop-off that marks the East Coast Continental Shelf off of New York. The New York Bight is a very productive fishing grounds, both for commercial and recreational fishing, and has recently drawn many right whales and other endangered marine life, finding them traversing through this region regularly for feeding, breeding, and migrating to and from the warmer waters seasonally. Well, the decision, which was rendered in March 2021 by BOEM to start leasing this area, is in question, as it appears to have been made devoid of examining and releasing any in-depth report of potential environmental impacts on this 800,000-acre region. This failure to craft and release this report, which is required by law, is at the crux of the challenge. The March 26, 2021 decision advanced Let's Go Brandon's plan to double the installed capacity of fledging, fledgling U.S. offshore wind developers, folks. We don't have any offshore wind developers in the United States. These people are all companies that are basically coming from Europe, uh, Orsted and Company. Um, they're, they're European concerns. You know, they may come in and stand up a, 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 a storefront here, but it's not a domestic United States fledgling or otherwise offshore wind developer. These are European wind developers. Um, anyhow, uh, this is trying to double the, the, the offshore uh, capacity of installed capacity, I should say. It's not going to double anything other than the blight uh, by 2030 and decarbonize the power sector by 2035. In other words, the war on energy to stop plant food is really the crux of this effort. Not improving power, not you know meeting the increased demand, none of that. However, the failure to prepare an environmental impact statement before selecting five areas of the New York Bight effectively foreclosed any opportunity for public comment on this siting selection, the complaint said. Um, Boehm failed to adhere to the National Environmental Protection Act, or NEPA, and the Endangered Species Act, ESA, through their failure to conduct and report on potential environmental impacts. The complaint alleges the omission of these reports and making these reports public were a willful act to expedite the process by eliminating the public's right to comment. Absolutely correct. Um, this is yet another failure, folks, of big government to follow their own laws that were duly passed by their elected representatives of the people. And now their laws, which were supposed to be, you know, protecting this and that, have become inconvenient to their ideology. Well, they're just going to ignore it. I don't think so. It's just a shame that we have to continually sue our own government to do the job they're supposed to do. 
and another organization has chimed in to oppose the nonsense as undaunted by court filings you know BOAM announced on January 12th that they will hold a wind auction on February 23rd for roughly 480,000 acres of that offshore area of New York and New Jersey in the bight uh, for wind developers to bid on six leasing areas we're going to auction off AXA acres in the ocean unbelievable how can that even be legal but the Recreational Fishing Alliance, which was founded as a 501c4 political action committee back in 1996 that works to protect and safeguard the rights of saltwater anglers and protecting marine and boat and tackle industry jobs and ensure the long-term sustainability of U.S. saltwater fisheries. They issued their statement of opposition to this announcement and the plans, stating they are fundamentally opposed to the sell-off of our oceanic resources. They have rightfully identified that these moves are being pushed by anti-fishing and radical environmental interest groups further highlighting the hypocrisy of these ideologues as if this were an auction of offshore oil exploration. Now if it was you could bet your bottom dollar that these groups would be screaming bloody murder saying that they oppose this auction you can't sell off our oceans etc. But suddenly when it's wind factories oh well they're all for it and suddenly the protection of endangered species and the oceans itself not to mention the commercialization and the industrialization of the oceans that these environmental wackos are absolutely dead set against they suddenly embrace them with open arms absolutely unbelievable the group states, uh, this is the uh, Recreational Fishing Alliance, in 2021, the last year that they have data for, New York, New York and New Jersey's recreational saltwater fishing generated over $3 billion in sales impacts, $1.7 billion in value-added activity, and supported 2.7 million jobs in the regional marine fishing sector and across the broader economy. Wind factories have the potential to disrupt the very fisheries that drive this industry and economic output. In addition to creating an unprecedented navigational hazard, the impacts to offshore wind will be felt not just within the lease area, but along the beaches and bays of coastal states as migration patterns of important fish stocks are altered or disrupted. These impacts will mean lost jobs for many who make their living from recreational fishing, from the guy who sells tackle to boat builders to the charter boat captain. The RSA also notes um, that there's been far too little scientific research on the potential of wind factories to degrade the marine environment and alter migratory paths of crucial fisheries. Seabed disturbances from construction will impact many species' food sources. Saltwater anglers can't fish if there are no fish. And the government sees wind factories a political win for green energy. The saltwater fishing community sees lost jobs, a lost way of life, and a looming environmental catastrophe. Hallelujah. They're absolutely correct. And meanwhile, the sellouts that are known as the Sierra Club and their membership rank and file have been writing letters to support another offshore wind folly, that is the Great Lakes Wind Factory development. And in the process, they're exposing themselves as blithering idiots disconnected with any semblance of reality whatsoever. In a letter to the editor that appeared in the, the December 23, 2021 edition of the Buffalo News, from their Niagara chapter chair, Sarah Schultz, that's the Niagara chapter of the Sierra Club, um, she really is a case study in how brainwashed vomit political talking points um, you know, that just has all nothing but emotion, no reality, no dodging, 
backing up these beliefs. But this is a brainwashed political talking point letter that, you know, shows blatant hypocrisy that exists due to the emotional attachment of the unreliable and unpredictable, highly damaging wind factories. The writer starts out by praising a past Buffalo News editorial board opinion that states Governor Hochul needs to get New York's clean energy house in order to meet the arbitrary and capricious goals of the nonsensical climate change law passed in 2019. And many dumbfounding provisions of this tripe start taking effect actually this year, folks. The Buffalo News cited the deadline of 2040 for clean energy. But this writer, Sarah Schultz, does accurately point out that 2030 is the deadline for a 70% reduction in plant food emissions through renewable energy sources. The meathead then laments the fact that New York City is the real culprit in energy consumption, and getting power to that poop hole is where the clean path New York is essential to balancing supply with demand. But never mind, you need a you know reliable supply to meet the 24/7 demand. It's not just you can transmit it; you got to have it to supply it. And you know apparently these kooks have never learned that. So then she goes to write, concerns over transmission of hydropower, which is the original emissions-free renewable energy, from Canada are real. We have solid alternatives to disturbing toxins in the Hudson River and running the risk of more dams being built. Really? Then she goes on to tout offshore wind as having more potential than the one South Fork offshore wind project, which is off Long Island, currently mired in legal woes, and the folks in the Hamptons are screaming bloody murder over their sunrises, which has prompted Nyserta to make up that new science called the science of invisibility, or, or visibility, I should say, and then claiming that the distance offshore needed to make these monstrosities invisible, it's 30 miles. Of course, that doesn't exist. They're going to be invisible at five miles off in Lake Erie, but never mind. Um, as to appease their well-heeled Democrat donors who show the ultimate in NIMBY as it gets. You know, but toxins in the Hudson? Really? She then goes on to claim that there's enough power for 10 million homes that exists if the political class ignores the will of the people and the wasteful spending that it will allow for it. So, you know, you got to have the political will to govern against the people, waste a ton of money, and then you're going to have all this potential that will never be realized. She kind of forgets that when the wind doesn't blow, you get no power. Meanwhile, the writer then goes on to applaud the denial of three natural gas power plants for downstate, which would make far more sense because that actually delivers on their capacity. They have an 82% capacity factor, so 82% of their installed capacity would actually be delivered, whereas wind only delivers a quarter of what you build out when the wind blows properly. And then, of course, we need to allocate, she states, you know, $15 billion this year to make sure this nonsense is going on. But New York is beyond broke, staring at well over $30 billion in the hole, and it's already wasted a significant amount of the COVID relief fund for political pet projects. What a shocker. She also then sets up her born and ignorant straw man, saying that it's a myth that gas is superior to oil for electrical energy. Not an understanding that the United States does not use oil or any liquid petroleum fuels for any electrical energy generation, save for privately used emergency diesel backup generators. 
it's absolutely breathtaking that she's perpetuating that lie. Natural gas is actually what is used to meet demand quickly as it burns particulate-free and can respond to wild swings in demand in the fastest manner possible without the polluting effects of particulates that comes with spinning up and down, say, coal plants you know, or trying to do something similar with that. Of course, having an existing 7,000 unpowered dams in New York already built has completely left her mind when she says, oh, we might have to build new dams and it's a big threat. We got 7,000 of them spread out across New York State, lady, and all you got to do is power them up. They're already built. You don't got to spend the money on it. They're already built. Did I mention that they're already built? Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. Just absolute ignorance and absolute mind-blowing stupidity while showing no care at all for the lake bottom of the Great Lakes, which is where we get our drinking water from. So, hey, stir up all the contaminants there, get that in the drinking water. But, oh, my God, we're going to stir up contaminants in the Hudson where we don't get a whole lot of drinking water from? Really? Are you kidding me? Threaten the water supply that's you know, provides drinking water to tens of millions across two nations, and that's good. But don't, you know, worry about, uh, you know, the Hudson River. We can't stir that up, and, oh, my God, we might have to, you know, build more dams, which we don't have to. Absolutely breathtaking. And just so everyone is aware, that South Fork, Fork Offshore Wind Project is for 132 megawatts of installed capacity, and it'll be owned by Orsted and Eversource. They're not New York concerns. And based on capacity factor, Long Island can expect to actually realize a little over 34 megawatts from that 132 megawatt factory um, when the wind is blowing right. And when it isn't, expect zero. You know, they could expect over, well over 100 megawatts from 132 megawatts if they did the natu natural gas. But yeah, we're going to celebrate not doing that so we can get a lot less for a hell of a lot more. Yes, these folks actually walk among us, folks. They actually do. And it is absolutely breathtaking. But you know, that's just the way it is, I guess, folks. And that's why we have to push back, and that's why we're educating. Because if, if you're, you're educated to these things and you're well-informed, you're less likely to fall for this nonsense. But, you know, that's for another show at another time, because you can hear that music, folks. That's right, the fastest podcast in podcast history is done for the day, and it's sad that I, to say that I have to leave you. But, folks, don't go anywhere, because I will be back. Same bat time, same bat channel next week to help everyone out and continue to give you this information. And I hope you found this entertaining and informative as that's what we're here to do and to make sure that you get the best information possible. Anyhow, folks, I've got to say goodbye. So until next week, folks, God bless and uh, enjoy your, your holiday day today. The National Day is of recognition is for Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, again, I'll see you next week, folks. See you later.